Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Actually, no, you are back to a brand new episode of Christmas is Cancelled. Today is our second chapter of our Christmas is Cancelled mini-series. We are covering the secret histories and alternate realities behind some of our favorite Christmas horror movies. So today, for episode two, we are covering Silent Night, Deadly Night, and We're going to touch base on how we feel about this film and all that, but we're also going to dig into some of the secret histories and dark uh, distribution release issues that this film has faced. So our co-host for Christmas is Cancelled is the one and only Jinx. Jinx, how's it going? Josh, (laughs) it's, um, this isn't, it's not funny anymore. I've Uh been in this basement for a week now. Um, Mm -hmm. You told me one episode, I did the episode and then you wouldn't let me go. I have been subsisting on a diet of milk and skin cookies for the past week and I'm ready to leave, sir. We're on episode two today. We're just breezing through this. It's Christmas and Christmas is magical. Jinx, who are you? Like, what's your whole deal on a good day, on a day in the sun? Let me cast back and try and remember <laughs> days in the sun. Um, mm. I am a writer and podcaster. Uh, I've written for Bloody Disgusting, Horror Hounds, Dread Central way back in the day. I currently write for Bloody Disgusting, uh, an article series called Phantom Limbs, which delves into the histories of unproduced horror sequels and remakes. Uh, I have a handful of other columns as well. I'm not going to bore people by talking about them. Uh, in addition, I have a podcast called Scream Addicts, which is currently kind of underway and about to wrap up a special side <gasps> project that we've been doing over the course of the past year called Hammer Pub, wherein co-hosts Ali Chapel, Paul Farrell, and myself basically have a few drinks. We sit around and we provide running commentaries for Hammer movies. And uh, Josh, if you ever let me go free, I might invite you onto it to talk some woman in black someday. Just throwing that mm. out there. Uh, you're making a good point. I'm going to think it over. Well, Jinx, we're obsessed with you uh, to an unhealthy extent, and we're thrilled to have you today for Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'm just going to give us a little bit of a quick, brief little rundown of today's episode. So we're going to start with some film details. Me and Jinx are going to get personal about how we feel about these films. 
We're going to dig into the troubled release history. Yes, it's drama. Jinx, listen, do you mind if I give some details, if I give a little bit of a brief seminar on the original Silent Night, Deadly Night? Well, Josh, I'm, uh, I'm at your mercy, so uh, you, you, you do oh, what you care to, sir. Oh, that's nice. Okay, well, Silent Night, Deadly Night is a 1984 American horror film. It's directed by Charles Selyer Jr. This movie stars <laughs> Robert Brian Wilson, Lillian Chauvin, Gilmer McCormick, Tony Nero, Lena Quigley, Brit- yeah, I know, Brett Leach, and Leo Gatter. Jinx, what is this movie about? If you had to, like, we're on an elevator, I have a gun to your head. What's the synopsis? Like, what would you what would you say? Like, is the logline for this movie? <laughs> if you had a gun to my head. Okay. Yeah, yeah, hypothetically, hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, let me try and imagine that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Silent Night, Deadly Night concerns a young man named Billy. He had the poor misfortune of watching his parents murdered on Christmas Eve by Santa Claus. Or a man dressed as Santa Claus. Does he yeah. ever say, Josh? I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't say. It could actually be Santa. That car is very Santa. But keep going. And uh, so the poor orphan, uh, newly minted orphan, as it were, is kind of shuffled mm-hmm. off to a uh, Catholic orphanage where he is subjected to even more abuse, as it were. And mm-hmm. he grows up to be a very unsettled young man. Uh, probably, does it ever say, is he late teens, early 20s by the time we... I think he was like 18, I thought, that number I heard, but who knows? Yeah, and then uh, once he's out in the real world, uh, the holiday rolls around again, and... Uh, well, he gets mm. triggered, you might say, and he yeah, winds yeah. up going on a, uh, what would you call it? Just a just a holiday rampage. A sleigh ride of sorts. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's about accurate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get into oh, and how it, we... And it is oh, worth noting oh, oh, oh. that he does carry out all of his killings while also dressed as Santa. Yes. Um... Which must be, it must get hot. You know, that's like good for him because that that can't be easy. Jinx, (laughs) what was your first encounter with this franchise? This, I'm going to say this movie, but if a different installment comes first, you can let me know. What was first? No, you know, I did start at the beginning, but what's crazy, even for being kind of a huge slasher fan when I was growing up in the 90s and, you know, being a burgeoning fan of the genre and trying to check out as many of the franchises as I could beginning to end, you know, becoming kind of a completist. I would have mm-hmm. to watch all of the Nightmares, all of the Friday the 13th, all of the Texas yes. Chainsaw, so on and so forth. For whatever reason, Silent Night, Deadly Night never really appealed to me. And this is, you know, I'm somebody who adored Black Christmas at a young age. Uh, I adored Christmas Evil at a young age, but something about Silent Night, Deadly Night kind of put me off and I don't really I can't put my finger on what it is except maybe to say that I kind of had a good idea what kind of movie it was and I was <laughs> right by the way and uh, yes. and that kind of movie admittedly isn't really my bag and we can get into it when we talk about our impressions of the films but mm-hmm. I didn't actually see the movie until uh, oh I want to say Anchor Bay put out a nifty like anniversary DVD, probably 12, 15 years ago, something like that. And Mm -hmm. I kind of double featured the first two movies and uh, that's, that's how I saw them. Uh, And I wound up picking up the, you know, because I am a completist, even if I didn't care for the first two movies that much, I did have to own three, four and five. And then eventually I went on to check out the, uh, I believe it's Stephen Miller who did the remake in uh, 2012, 2013, somewhere around in there. But um yeah, that's that's kind of my uh, my history with uh, the franchise, which I gotta say is not necessarily my favorite. But you know, I mean, listen, I'm grateful that it sounds like you have a bit more, like you have a bit of a deeper uh, reach than I do when it comes to the series. I had only ever seen the first one, and I didn't see it until very very late into my horror movie career. I remember, uh, yeah, it, something about the marketing campaign, even when I was a kid, I could tell that it was trash. Like, it just reeks of pure trash, which is funny because, yes, the the poster itself is gorgeous and wonderful. But I, I think maybe I knew even young that the poster was a lie. Like, I think that's one of the more famous <laughs> lie horror movie posters there are. Um, so that's not good marketing. And then one day I saw it in, like, 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 somewhat, like this weird Toronto dive bar had like a 
<laughs> like a screen up and it was playing it one winter and it was like really snowy and cold and nobody showed up but me and my friend we were watching this like not very fun weird 80s christmas staple that i had never seen and for all of those insults i just threw at it are sort of why i also celebrate it so drinks you said you've seen most of these right or you've seen all of them right yes so i i collected them all over a decade ago so i could kind of do the completest thing and just kind of like knock through the entire franchise but i gotta admit like unlike franchises that i uh you know enjoy Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're not movies that I've revisited, uh, as it were to watch over and over again. So, uh, you know, my, my, my memories might be a tad fuzzy, but, uh, but yeah. Jinx, do you, are you a fan of this movie after revisiting it recently? Like, would you say this is a movie you, uh, is this one of yours? Not really. No. And, And here's the thing, like being honest, I, I completely get its appeal. Like, I completely understand it. Like, you know, it, it's a it's an 80s slasher movie. It has that 80s slasher movie look, totally. as it were. Uh, you know, it, it's a holiday horror, which is always, uh, you know, that's that just gives horror fans the, uh, the warm and fuzzies, I think, more mm-hmm. often than not. But there's something about it that, you know, there's a certain... And I did call myself a slasher fan, and I am a slasher fan, but there is a certain breed of slasher that is less concerned with character and more concerned with just being mean spirited. And, you know, the the ones that you kind of, that are more, you feel like you need a shower after you watch them, you know, and, and silent night, deadly night definitely has that in spades. It's icky. It's unpleasant. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's not really fun at all. No, it's Uh, mean as hell. Mean as hell. Um, you know, with a couple of exceptions, like there aren't really any standout moments in the movie. I did say a couple of exceptions, like there are. Um, For but sure. <laughs> but by the end of it, you know, once you get to the end credits, it's just kind of like, what was the point of this? Why, you know, what what is this meant to be doing? You know, it, it's not fun in the sense that a Friday the 13th movie could be. It's not good or tense or scary in the way that something like, uh, you know, Halloween is. It's just... You know, it, it it's utterly kind of pointless to me. It doesn't justify its existence. And no. I know that a lot of fans out there and a lot of slasher fans are going to call bullshit on that or at least, you know, rage and shake their fists. And I completely get that. But no, it just it never was quite my bag. So, well, yeah, it's also just not a well-made film. No. We, we recently revisited Black Christmas, which is you know, one of the best films maybe ever made. And to watch these two back to back, it really shows you what are good decisions to make in filmmaking and what are poor decisions. And this movie is just full of stupid, dumb decisions that really work against the film. Like like spending half of the runtime sort of explaining to us why he's going to start killing people. It's like, uh, like, I don't care. Like, this is boring and weird and, like, sad. And all this stuff, we, yeah, so we see a lot of him growing up as a child in an orphanage with abusive nuns all around him. And, like, it reminds me that, yes, like, the church is horrifying. And maybe that's kind of cool that they portrayed that honestly. But, Jesus, what a, what a bummer. This movie's a bummer. For... All of the weight that it has, for all of the depth that it has, ultimately, the amount of time that we spend on his upbringing and his background and his kind of origin story as it was, like all of that could have been handled, I think, in a lengthy prologue sequence. I mean, if if Black Xmas 2006 can do it, this movie should have been able to as well. What do you mean can do it? I mean, I guess they technically did it, but it was terrible on that and it was terrible in this it was yeah, well, you're right yeah. it was terrible yeah. it was yeah. terrible but it was short it was short and i was never bored so yeah i black <laughs> yeah i mean team team black xmas i guess yeah and I, I feel like a lot of these movies especially now in the when the slasher trope was still forming it was only 1984 i think uh they were still not totally sure like what tropes were to stick to and like which, yeah, I feel like they were still finding their footing as a subgenre, and you can see that with this one. Although it does have some pretty funny, amazing kill sequences. Um, do we want to run through some of the the more memorable kills from this movie? Because I think sure. it, it deserves it. Um, so I'm going to give the most obvious historical one, which is 
uh, the antlers, where, the he, where antlers. he picks up that naked girl and and kills her with antlers. It's I'm pretty sorry, cool. Josh. Josh. Is that Josh, Lena Quigley? No. Is that Lena Quigley? You don't just say <gasps> oh naked God. girl. I'm Sarah. sorry. Who? What? I'm gonna cut all this out. Was that Lena Quigley? That was Lena Quigley. Yes. Okay. And when he kills Lena Quigley with the antlers on the wall, very, very iconic, bizarre death sequence that will never be forgotten. That is my favorite. I mean, it's got to be the antlers sequence. I, it's it's. <laughs> you know, I said that this movie has a couple of standout moments, and I think that's one of them. I mean, it's it's imaginative in its own way. It's genuinely tense, like the sort of buildup. It's it's gruesome and shocking. And um, look, like the red-blooded caveman in me is obliged to say that 1984 Linnea Quigley is insanely attractive. So oh that my God. May... babe of the century, horror babe <sighs> of the millennia. I mean, between that and, like, her other appearances throughout genre movies in the 80s, she's just, like, super crush-worthy. Oh, and she's uh, the biggest babe of all time. We're obsessed with her. And there's one a little bit later when I think the boyfriend stumbles into her her dead body. You get, like, a full-on shot, and it's great. It's one of the more, like, incredible shots in this film where you just see her, like, dead against the wall it's pretty scary actually one of the only moments in the film where i was like oh i'm scared yeah absolutely the whole sequence i think is a standout if the you know we i talked about the movie being kind of like mean-spirited and not very well made but honestly if the other set pieces in the movie were sort of at that level Mm -hmm. i think i would enjoy it a hell of a lot more Oh yeah and honestly even though that's the most I would say the most famous kill sequence in this movie, maybe arguably it's not my favorite. Um, what would you, I, I, should I make you guess what my favorite is or should I just tell you what it is? Please I feel just like it's, tell me because it's gotta be the sleigh ride decapitation. It's so good. <laughs> okay. It's so funny. And uh, you know what? Honestly, also like a little scary, even though it's the most outrageous and silly moment of all time. Um, I love, there's something so effective about eighties, like teen bullies no matter what movie, no matter how good or bad the movie is, a, like a, a bullying sequence with kids is always going to like be intense and scary and worse than the kills. And so when you have that like classic 80s uh, bully sequence with those, some of the more likable characters in this movie, I would say those two kids, um, that scene's great. And, and oh, and there's a part where the other, like the nice kids are looking into the woods and there's like, there's somebody here. Like, get out of the woods. There's a killer Santa. But yeah, that decapitation scene where he's going down the hill on the sleigh <laughs> and Billy just jumps out of nowhere and I think says naughty and cuts off his head. Am I naughty. right? Naughty. Punish. Naughty. Punish. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Hulk. Uh, gotta be my favorite <laughs> scene in the movie. Also, because it's in the woods, kind of gives me um, winter Friday the 13th vibes. Which we still deserve one day, someday. You and I has gotta do an episode on um on winter Friday the thirteenth. I, I have here worst kill, but I'm gonna assign this to you and I'm just gonna tell you what it is. The the opening scene is is just so well not opening yeah. scene, but like the first scene where Billy's parents get murdered is just horrendous. Jenks, can you tell us about it in case anyone forgot? It's super icky. So, you know, you, you have the sequence where Billy and his parents go and visit the grandpa and which, by the way, I do want to talk about that at some point. <laughs> yeah. The, wait, should we do that right now before we just please, do this chronological? Please. Okay. The grandpa at the very beginning, very beginning of this movie, the killer that would grow up to be the killer is like a little tiny, cute, adorable child with lipstick on. And he's with his parents and they're going to go visit his grandpa at the, what do I call it? At the sanitarium, sanatorium. Who knows? The, the the hospital. And Grandpa's like catatonica, just staring at the wall, being like, I don't see you. I don't hear you. Please go home. And so the mom <laughs> and dad are like, this is what we do. We leave the child with the catatonic vegetable man because that's what we're going to do. So just stay here do. with you. This, and it is the 80s, okay? It could have been worse. So they leave this child with this catatonic man. And of course, the second the parents leave, the catatonic man's like, in action he's like just kidding that's not real i just don't want to talk to anyone by the way kid santa's evil and it's christmas and if you ever like did anything as bad as sneeze he's gonna fucking kill you and the kid's like grandpa what like why are you doing this to me i'm just a kid and the grandpa's like 
fuck you. And then when the parents come back into the room, he just like pretends to be catatonic again. Why? Jenks, why? I think that the grandpa sequence is, and I say this genuinely, is a marvelous short <laughs> film that stands above everything else in the film. It could be its own little five minute short film and it would be a masterpiece. I genuinely mean that. It is a wonderful scene that is enjoyable on its own. Uh, I mean, the <laughs> the scariest damn night of the year. You know, that... <laughs> what? Wait, I, what? It is so good. And his the, the, the grandpa's performance in it is so great. And the effect on the kid. <laughs> and there's something... And here's the thing. I think that's part of the reason that I don't like the movie. Is because the promise of that scene... Mm-hmm is one that's going to be creepy and spooky, but also have like this marvelous vein of dark humor. In okay. It. What's the guy that made killing of a sacred deer and the lobster, that Greek director? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, I think that was like his first short film. Oh, that's yeah, totally. Totally. Um, but yeah, but the problem is, is that you immediately follow it up with a sequence <laughs> where Billy's yeah, parents mm-hmm. are, uh, carjacked by a Santa. And, uh, you know, the, in a very grim, just grindhouse icky sort of way, uh, you know, the, the Santa, you know, evil Santa, as it were, shoots mm-hmm. the father, tries Ouch. to rape the mother, yeah. and then ultimately, like, isn't successful, but slashes her throat. And yeah, it's like, brutal. what the fuck am I And, and the little kids like, walk, the little kid is like, and this is all from the little kid's POV in the bushes. Yeah, he's seeing it all, and it's like, okay, this is the worst Batman origin story uh, I have seen yet. Oh my god, Jinx. Jinx, I don't know. I don't I've never heard that take before. That's hilarious. I'm dying of laughter. I've died. Thank you. You know, and then like poor Billy, you know, he gets recruited and then like a Santa Claus flies through his window at night and he decides to become a <laughs> uh, a DC superhero who dresses like Santa Claus and murders um everyone. And that's DC for Dread Central. Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I agree with everything, everything you just said. And so that's the basic origins. Well, that's like the proposed basic origins of Billy the Killer. I personally think he's a killer based on his origins getting abused by nuns in an orphanage. Like I oh, think 100%. that's that's the majority. I don't think it's because Santa killed his family really bad. I think it's because of the systematic abuse of the Catholic Church. Well, I think I, I, I agree with you and I don't. I do think that the core of his psychosis is seeing a Santa Claus who is terrifying, <laughs> who took his family away from him. I yeah. think the nuns are such that, you know, what that kid needed was to be healed yeah. right after. And he wound up in a place that should have been doing exactly that. And instead it just yeah. further victimizes him. And, you know, the, the hypocrisy of the place is what ultimately, you know, honestly, if we wanted to peel back enough layers in this movie, we could find meaning in it where I'm sure there was none intended to be. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we can't have fun parsing through all of that oh, stuff anyway. Speaking of fun, and I'm probably going to cut this out, and I apologize for even saying it, but the orphanage sequences at this, like, um, with with the Catholic Church and these nuns really remind, just because I'm in Canada and we we always are taught about the horrors of the residential schools. It gave me like residential school system vibes and about like these, this was real. Like nuns were like murdering or like orphan children often, usually indigenous when it came to Canadian orphanages. So no, I think you're scary as hell. I think you're right to point that out. And surely that was kind of in the air. I mean, I don't think it was a, uh, it wasn't a random choice to make the nuns villainous in this movie. Um, yeah. Not all of the nuns, but I mean, you know, no. enough that it's a problem, obviously. <laughs> I know she was so problematic and abusive and a horrible and a monster. Then why did I kind of like think <laughs> the evil nun was kind of cool? <laughs> no, she's not cool. She's abusive. I liked her. I thought she was a badass, except for when she was like abusing children. But like I like yeah, her energy. Uh, she yeah <laughs> like the um, sister superior. You 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 draw the line. <laughs> I, at child abuse. I draw the line of child abuse, but I I get back on the line for like yes, you're a tough lady. Um, that's I'm gonna this episode's <laughs> gonna be cut to, to ribbons. Leave it, leave it. Leave no, it all. I cannot. Leave it all, Josh. Oh shit! Why are all Christmas horror villains named Billy? 
so it's funny you had posed that question and immediately I had never considered this before, but now <laughs> I just want to know, is there any chance that silent nights, Billy could be black Christmas's Billy. We have to, we have to squint oh our eyes a little bit. God. We have to, we have to rub some Vaseline on the lens <laughs> when it comes to like the, the, the time periods. Yeah. But other yeah. than it that, it's a 10 year difference. I keep thinking about how it's a 10 year difference between the movies and yet black Christmas looks so much nicer. It really does. <laughs> it's just so much. It was like, wow. It's like, what happened in these, did the apocalypse happen in these 10 years? And like, this is the best we could do with the zombies running around. Like, that's the only excuse that would make sense. Well, I mean, you know, Black Christmas was in Canada, and Canada takes care of itself, and Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night is where exactly? Uh, Utah, honey. Well, there we go. What's with all these horror movies getting filmed or taking place in Utah? Wasn't, like, the bunch of Friday the 13th in Utah? I demand answers. Um, I, I have an innate fear of Utah as a result, so any shit talking is down to the movies that I watched in my youth. So are you from forgive me, Utah listeners? You're not from Utah. You're from North Carolina. Oh my god, I have no idea. What the hell? I'm from Southern Ohio. Josh. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jinx. Southern Ohio. Southern Ohio. Is there a town name that I should know? A little place called Franklin Furnace. Franklin Furnace? Yep. Uh I would call it a I would call it a one stoplight town. A Franklin Furnace. But it didn't have a stoplight until about a decade ago. Certainly no, not when I was growing up. It's the best fucking name. It's the best horror movie town name of all time, Franklin Furnace. Okay, I'm obsessed I with it. seriously wanted, I still want to make a horror movie called The Furnace <laughs> that is set in my old hometown. I really Why do. can't you call it Franklin Furnace? It's weird and long. It has to be The Furnace or just Furnace. What about that? No, either. Either would be fun. <laughs> okay. Um, we are going to get this pitch together and I am going to swindle you for millions. Cut me on a part of it. I'll be fun. It's cool. Deal. You know what? Deal that. <laughs> You're, uh, you are getting... Um, I'm easy, Josh. ...bad end of the business here. <laughs> That's fine. You're in the basement. Whatever you get, you be grateful for. Who opens a door totally shirtless in the middle of winter? This is my question. Hey, Josh. Josh. Yep. 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 Don't judge. Yep. Don't. Sometimes when you're no. living in Southern Ohio, you hear strange noises and you rush to investigate before clothing yourself. I don't leave. I live alone and I don't leave the bedroom without a shirt on that. It's, it's uncouth. It's unpleasant. And it's unkind. Put on a shirt. Just kidding. I don't want to like, I don't want to slut shame anyone, but it was cold as hell. Like you're going to get a cold lady. I, I had, Zero issues with her choices there. So, uh, the guy was hot too. I hope they were both at least 18. I'm always like, can I be turned on by this person? Oh, gosh, Please. good point. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I, I always wonder in these horror movies, you've got to be 18 to get, but the guys never because guys don't like girls. I'm assuming if they show boobs, they absolutely have to be 18. I would be shocked if that wasn't the case. Uh, unless it's like Friday, what Friday the 13th, part four, five, which one of those had an underage girl? <gasps> in it. Oh no! Yeah. Friday, I had so much more expectations of you. Yeah, well, that was Lena Quigley, so that's fine. She's killer. She's queen. Um, I wish she had more to do in this movie, but that's same. I mean, what? What? There wasn't more to do in this movie, though. So, no offense to anybody. Any final personal thoughts, personal feelings, personal encounters with the original Silent Night, Deadly Night film? The music's kind no, of No, I just, I hope that fans listening out there who actually like the movie don't uh, hate us too much for not liking the movie so much. It's just not, mm. it's not that I hate the movie. It's just simply mm. that it's for me. If you like it, more power to you. I, I love a couple of sequences in it, but beyond that, it's kind of disposable to me. Jinx is showing you guys respect, but where did that get him? No, that got him in the basement. You guys don't deserve respect. This movie is terrible. I'll watch it many more times, though. Like, I'll watch it every year if I can. Um, I just don't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get it. You get it. Um, yeah, that's it for me on this movie. I celebrate it. I don't like it. Let's get into secret histories and alternate realities. Jinx, you yep. don't know this, but I'm going to give you the ability to pick between the two. Because today we have secret histories and alternate realities. Bloody which hell. Um, let's go... With secret histories. Ooh, secret histories. 
So it's not so secret, but Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, ended up being one of the most controversial horror movies of the 1980s. Jinx, can you guess why? If I had to guess, that iconic <laughs> poster probably played no small part. <laughs> no. Yeah, we take Santa very seriously in America. Santa is the symbol of capitalism, and capitalism is kind of our god. So this is like, this is, what's it called when you're mean to God um, or the government? What's that called? Get to that. <laughs> I would hope that those would two be two I think entirely it's the same word. Things, I think it's the same but, uh, word. Maybe it's not. It's bad. It's something that we take very seriously, Santa Claus, and this movie really shot all over him, and people were really mad about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we we want our Santa hawking Coca-Cola. Yes, we want our to Santa- preserve in, the sanctity yes, of the holiday. Yes, Santa rides on polar bears, and he he makes Coke. So, yeah. So, so there was this whole advertising campaign for this film in the 1980s, particularly these TV trailers and some posters that we were talking about with the hand with coming out of the chimney with the axe. It really, really upset uh, parents in America. And it's it upset the PTA. Gosh, you, you mispronounced the country's name. Come on. In, in, Amer- in America. America. In Amer- America. I'm Canadian. You know, I don't know anything about you guys. You know how you guys don't know anything about us? Well, I, um, we don't know shit that's, that's not true. Um, <laughs> well, you really? I, uh, David Cronenberg is president. Um, wow, okay. First of all, uh, prime minister, but yes. <laughs> sure. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. the second Super uh-huh. Troopers was set up there. Oh, my God. And, that's and enough. Sorry, and, no, no, no. Most, <laughs> oh most important thing. Um, let's see. Um, oh my god, uh, the Canadians are screaming. The, I can hear them. The marvelous, okay, so uh, uh, Canada plays home to no, the marvelous not. Alley Chapel. Oh, that's true, and you all like to say a boot, so <clears throat> you know what? I can't argue any of that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can't, I cannot. Um, yeah, so the PTA got involved. Jinx, who the hell are the PTA? It sounds so familiar. The Parent Teacher Association? <sighs> the Parent Teacher Association. The, what the, what the, nerds? The Paul Nerd Thomas alert. Andersons want <laughs> to have this film removed. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson was pissed as hell about this movie. And he got it removed from theaters due to the fact that it was about a killer Santa. Um, people were specifically pissed off because this movie aired ads uh, on programs such as Three's Company, Little House on the Prairie. It was uh, primetime promoted. And a lot of families saw it. A lot of kids saw it. And this got a lot of kids pissing their panties. And parents weren't liking that. Parents Which I call like, bullshit no, on no. that. I don't think it did at all. I frankly think mm-hmm. that you had a lot of parents who thought that their kids might be upset about this and rather than just having a conversation with their children and outlining the difference between fiction and fantasy instead they just had to satiate their need to feel righteously angry about something anything to feel better about their terrible little fucking lives their lives are bad the PTA in 1984, come on, nobody's fucking, it's terrible. Um, yeah, so the people were literally pissed off, and to the point where people were protesting theaters, people were protesting its premiere, people were, like, gathering together and singing Christmas carols in protest. The whole scene, it was a mood, but it did eventually get this film pulled from theaters. Uh, I don't know how long it was theaters. Was it in theaters just for like a couple of weeks? Does that sound familiar to you? It was not there long. I'm just wondering. They they stage protests. How good did, must we have had it in the 80s that these dipshits, like that's the thing mm-hmm. that, that they chose to that protest, launches yeah. them into action, that gets their asses off the couch yeah. to go yeah. out and pick it. Yeah, like, where were they during Rodney King? I bet they were not outside. Um, Yeah, these people suck, I bet. They sound terrible to me. Yeah, they they were successful. They got it pulled from theaters. To what I understand, I'm stealing this from another podcast, but in its initial couple-of-week opening, it, sur- it did better at the box office than A Nightmare on Elm Street. They were in theaters at the same time. And this surpassed it in the charts. If they just held true, I think, you know, this is a franchise that might have really taken off. And I say really taken off. I mean, there were five installments and a remake. So <laughs> I don't suppose that's anything. <laughs> At to what cost, of. though? At what cost? <laughs> exactly. But, Very you know, little cost, actually. They're cheap. 
I mean, if something like Friday the 13th, which, look, I, I think the Friday the 13th movies are fun. I really do. But mm. if we're going to act like the first movie is a great work of art, then we're lying to ourselves. And that mm. is a movie that spawned a lot of sequels, made a lot of money, and actually had some pretty great installments down the line. I think the same might very well have been true for Silent Night, Deadly Night, if they just stayed the course, if they just rode that controversy, that bad press, into just, you know, piles of cash, I think they would have been fine. Jinx, we're talking about, we're talking about original films on two different tiers. I believe Friday the 13th, that's on a different tier. This movie is on the same tier as Sleepaway Camp, IMO. And I don't think it's ever going to escape that. It is, you know that it is. Josh, stop making good points <laughs> stop it never only most of the time uh, yeah that's how you're, i feel. you're not so, yeah. wrong about that sleepaway camp is uh is yeah. a big bunch and not great too and, and for, they all have a bunch of weird sequels and a yeah remake, yeah and it's i don't that know. needs a fucking remake as hell we gotta do like did you see the the update on slumber party massacre I did not, but I heard nothing but good things about it from my co-host. Yeah, we got to do a similar thing with Sleepaway Camp, people. Get it together, Raven Banner. Okay, but is that if they did it? Do you think they would shy away from the big twist at the end? Or would they embrace no, it and it make it that. less problematic? It would. I think it would become a, a trans story from start from start to end. I would be okay done. with that. I, I think it would be, I think that and would like, be a good start. And I think the lead would probably be trans. Maybe we'd have a trans killer too, but I doubt it based on Hollywood's craptastic history with, with, with making trans people violent. Um, I think it would have to be like, yeah, a cool trans horror story. Make it happen. Hollywood. Um, where were we? What are we talking about? Who are you? Can we, uh, can, okay. But sticking with that for a second, could we not have a sleepaway camp movie that instead recasts the hero as trans rather than the villain? Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was saying. I okay, think you need no, to make no, the hero I, I would, trans. Yes, yeah. so I would be not merely okay. So when you say hero, you don't necessarily mean like just the face of the franchise, but like literally the hero. Of yeah, the, the hero of the movies. first film. Like, yeah, yeah, the, no, yeah, yeah. I think that would be great. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this. I think Angela. I don't know if Angela is the is the bad guy in it maybe she is if she is maybe make her sis i don't know there are ways to get into this and make it cool and fun and uh, let's woke up uh sleepaway camp oh my god so many readers are gonna get mad at that that's fine <laughs> okay with that. um yeah so white people were mad they got this movie taken out of the theaters tristar pictures who originally put it out pulled all um, their ads that they had in the world after the release on November 15th, 1984. So yeah, the film was pulled due to controversy. There was a producer for the film. His name is Ira Barmack. He said this to People Magazine. People have taken offense at Santa being used in a scary context. Santa Claus is not a religious figure. He's a mythic figure. I didn't deliberately ride roughshod over that sensitivity, and I didn't anticipate the objection to it. I liked how angry I made him. That, that was, was fun. Okay, yeah, that was, um, I felt the anger on that. <laughs> that was mad. And then he kills Fox everyone with an axe. Sorry. I'm get, get back in the basement. An editorial was published in, in um, Variety around that time, and that said something along these lines. Most protests were generated by the feeling that the depiction of a killer in a Santa Claus suit would traumatize children and undermine their traditional trust in capitalism. I mean, Santa Claus. Okay, so going back to your first quote, <laughs> one, really angry. Uh, yeah. Two, you know, he, he's not wrong. Santa Claus is not a religious figure. He is a mythic character. And if anybody knows anything about the origins of the myth, Santa Claus comes part and parcel <laughs> with the notion of punishing bad little boys and girls. Like you have, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some cases you have Santa himself uh, with, you know, the coal and the stockings or whatever, which admittedly is a far less... Uh, you know, terrible punishment than getting shoved onto the antlers. Yes, admittedly. Yep, but then yep, you have yep, figures yep, like, yep. Uh, you know, Black Peter and Krampus and, uh, nice. you know, figures who are meant to actually, you know, meet out punishment. Uh, whereas, you know, Santa rewards the other figures punish. And so for people to get all up in arms with the notion that Christmas, you know, as far as the mythic side of it, when we want to plant all of these um, uh, make-believe figures, 
you know, into it, like a uh, fucking reindeer that fly and Santa and whatnot. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that they would get up in arms over a violent treatment featuring those characters is just kind of fucking silly and ignorant in its own right. Now, for the <laughs> second quote, did I hear that right? Uh, undermine traditional trust in Santa Claus. That's what they said in Variety, yeah. So let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Let, let, let's, let's unpack let's, that. Let's unpack that little present. Let's talk about that for a second. Yep, 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 yep. Let's take the ribbon off, you know, let's make it sexy. So Ira Barmack, in the first quote that you noted, like he was talking about how Santa Claus is not a religious figure, and that's a fact. And yet, you know, we, and here's the thing, bit of info about me, I am a Christian. I also live in a country where I am utterly exasperated by large swaths of people that call themselves Christians, but act mm-hmm. as though they're anything but, mm-hmm. uh, which sadly is the largest faction, it seems, in this country. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I, I think it only seems because they're just the loudest. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's there's so many swaths of what a, a buddy of mine described as hypocrites living in you know the bible belt that it unfortunately gives the religion as a whole um a a really bad name when in fact the teachings of christ i think are probably teachings that most people could get on board with pretty easily um yeah it's just like why why all the hate against the gays general public exactly when in fact that is not what yeah exactly how did that get into the main into the zeitgeist i'm scared um, but yeah, I know you're right. It, it, it's just the loud assholes that are ruining it for everyone. Thank you. Um, but by it, those um, assholes aside, mm. by and large, all Christians in this country raise their children believing in such concepts early on as the Tooth Fairy, uh-huh. the Easter Bunny, uh-huh. Santa Claus, yes, and God. Whoa. And one by one, all of those figures fall. So if mm-hmm. you're a Christian raising your child to believe in the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and God. Okay, first, the Tooth Fairy, that's the first one to go. Like the first time you wake up and, you know, somebody's trying to slide a quarter under your pillow and take your tooth away or whatever, it's like, okay, I'm calling bullshit. Okay, and the mm-hmm. Tooth Fairy is a pretty big stretch anyway. Now, the Easter Bunny, the idea of a large man-sized bunny hiding Easter eggs around to celebrate... The resurrection of Christ. Like, where did he get those eggs? <laughs> well, like, I mean, did he, did he make them? Like, I have Did he lay them? Yeah, um, it's like you're a mammal, babe. Like, <laughs> but you know, I, I, uh, there's a great Bill Hicks skit about the Easter Bunny <laughs> that listeners out there just look up Bill Hicks and Easter Bunny. It's, uh, it's marvelous. You know, uh, <laughs> an Easter Bunny came in the night and laid eggs. Why those two things? You know, why not goldfish laid Lincoln logs or something like that? Um, But no, no. At a certain point, you know, even though you continue to celebrate Easter, the notion of the Easter bunny, that falls away, too. And that leaves standing alone by himself, Santa Claus. Well, next to God. And you well, that's the thing, you know, so far as Christians go, as far as they're, you know, if you believe in God, you're still making up these other figures for your children to believe in only to tell them the tales may don't exist. And the last one to go out is usually Santa Claus and around maybe eight, nine or ten. You know, when you get to about seven or eight, that's when you start having like these really long, difficult talks with your buddies on the schoolyard. Like, do you do you think he's real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hold on, hold on. Have you ever seen him? Fuck, I don't know. And then, like, you know, I you smoke like, cigarettes and uh, you're, you're like just... freaking out. And you have that, like, Charlie board from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and your <laughs> eyes are all black. And you're like, I can figure it out. <laughs> uh, so, but eventually, yeah, you know, your parents sit you down and they have the talk where it's like, well, Santa Claus may not be real, but he's real in spirit, he's yeah. in your heart. It's your the spirit dad's of the not holiday coming season. back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh my He's God. gone. He's gone. So to me, I never understood. It's like you finally get to God, and it's like, are yeah? You know, I'm just wondering, like, are Christians doing their faith any favors at all by continually undermining your children's trust in figures that they cannot see that are not tangible before them? It's like, okay, not real, not real, not real, still real. You know, it's a little mm-hmm. that's so when I hear somebody talk about the traditional trust in Santa Claus, I'm like, 
what the fuck are you so talking about? Funny to me, it sounds like a capitalistic issue. Like kids are not gonna like Santa. Santa it brings presents. Presents cost money. Your parents buy the presents with their money. This is important. This is a clog in the system. How <laughs> dare you stop us from getting money? That's my take on it. To be consume. honest, consume, consume, uh, obey. Um, uh, <laughs> what was he say in the movie? Um. Punish. Naughty, punish, consume. Talk, punish. Um, (laughs) You know what, Jinx? This was fucking fun as hell. Um, I want to get it to conclusions. Are you comfortable with that? Does that make you feel okay? Yeah, but I do want to ask. Do we want to get to the conclusions before we mention Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert? Wow, you read the room. You saw that Josh was trying to, to evade it. But you know what? How can we... Talk about Silent and Deadly Night without getting to, to, to Siskel and Ebert. So, no, yeah, we got to do it. Um, yeah, so those those two nerds, can you tell us how, the, how they're involved in this controversy? Because I know, but you're going to do a better job, and I love you. No, no, no. I mean, the thing is, in the midst of all this major backlash against the movie, we also had White Knights Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert writing to the rescue of children everywhere by decrying a slasher movie that those same kids never would have seen until years later. Anyway, and And also making it more relevant and ensuring more children will be seeing it. uh, 100%. It's the forbidden fruit. You know what? You you tell if they would have just left it alone, kids probably would have stayed away in droves anyway. But by telling them they can't see it, you've all but guaranteed that they are going to seek that shit out. It's it's faces of death in the 80s and 90s. (laughs) I I need to stay away from that. But yeah, I know you're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. That's exactly my point. You knew to stay away, but you know as well as I do, if somebody had told you that you shouldn't watch it i'd be like hold on a second i'm writing the name down i'm gonna ensure i never see it because i (laughs) am a sissy anxiety jewish baby yeah but siskel and ebert you know much like their uh you know their crusades also targeted slasher movies and uh i mean friday the 13th betsy palmer they what's hilarious Mm. to me about those guys is that they decried the misogyny of earlier 80s slasher films and then they doxed an actress like great job guys well done (laughs) you you did good you fucking nimrods i mean Um, obvious these are the fucking biggest nerds in the world but i do i will say this and being honest here as many stones as i can lob in their direction i will say i genuinely like each of those guys and their work and what they meant to me growing up as a film nerd in the 90s but the sanctimony in certain cases like this is off the fucking charts and utterly indefensible especially coming like come on coming from the writer of beyond the valley of the dolls like get off your high horse you know what i mean yeah Uh, i mean i mean a woman was raped and then her throat was cut in front of a little child who i'm guessing was watching it all on set like i don't think they there were there were children unions back then but yeah Shut up, Gene and Siskel and nah. Margaret Ebert. It is, it is worth noting that they could champion genre films at times. Like Ebert wrote wonderful reviews for like yeah, yes. the original Halloween, for example. So w- were they all bad? No. Are they complicated figures? Yes. But mm-hmm. in this case, uh, you know, even though I don't personally care for the movie, um, I, I do think their war on the film was uh, more hilarious than not. Yeah, but... Um... I wonder if it would be as relevant today if they hadn't taken it down or if it would be more relevant. Like, before we get into conclusions, like, what would have happened if this film hadn't been pulled from theaters? Do you think it would have been more of a classic, less of a classic, or the same? I think the film itself would have been the same. Now, the franchise, on the other hand, I think might have been markedly different. I think we might be... uh, currently wondering why we haven't had a a sequel to the reboot in the last 12 years because of rights issues holding it up we just want more billy uh you know we we might be on movie number 12 or 13 at this point it might have cleaned up for whatever distributor elected to pick it up after the monstrous success of the first film probably would have been paramount uh could you imagine the one-two punch every year of friday the 13th and silent night deadly Um, but instead, no, I mean, they, they kind of kowtowed to uh, the pressure that they were under and then they kind of eked out the rest of the entries in this franchise when they probably should have stayed theatrical, they could have gotten better and we could have seen a completely different series of movies as a result. Yeah. 
Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. I think the first one, the same. But yes, the lineage would look so different today. So, Jenks, in conclusion, do you think we're ever going to get another Silent Night, Deadly Night movie? Yes. Do I know what that will be? No. Um, there there have been a couple of mooted attempts. Um, the gentleman who played Ricky, who's Billy's brother in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, you might know him as the guy who uh, who gravely intones Garbage Day in, uh, yeah. in part two. Apparently, he wrote a sequel that he tried to get off the ground. And I don't know that he I mean, up until this point, he obviously hasn't had any luck whether or not he will one day. Who knows? In addition to that, I think there was an attempt at a sequel to the uh, Stephen Miller kind of sort of remake from Mm -hmm. was it 2013 or so, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I got to admit, I actually kind of enjoyed the hell out of that movie. But um you know, I, I would be all for that, but more likely than not, I think if the franchise continues, it's going to be another remake or reboot, or, you know, maybe if they're feeling a little squirrely, they'll try to, uh, you know, do like a Halloween 2018, like Texas Chainsaw oh, yeah. 3D sort of thing and just do a direct sequel, like a legacy thing. Like like a sequel, reboot, same title, Bloomhouse moment. Yeah, but who knows? I do. But here's the thing. Will it ever make the theaters? Probably not like that. That has Hulu premiere scrolled all over it or shutter premiere maybe who knows but uh i'm fine with that i'm fine with that oh, sci-fi no, og why not, not knocking either of those i think that would be great i know uh, i know i know yeah. but you know it's it's i i will be curious to see what the next step is for this series jinx where can you be found you know other than the basement um well if i ever get out maybe people could find me on twitter again uh that's at jinx 1981 people can find my writing at bloody disgusting and uh you can find my podcast that is at screamatics uh or just screamatics.com uh like i said we are about to wrap up the hammer pub special project uh uh pretty soon i think within the next couple of months we are just about through with uh old school hammer and then we're gonna dive right into the uh the new hammer era starting with beyond the rave and the resident and the woman in black soon enough. So very cool. Very exciting drinks. We love you. We're going to give you better sandwiches this week. We're going to give you protein. It's going to be the best week of your life. Um, And we're going to see everyone else pretty soon when we follow up with our third installment of Christmas is canceled. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.